0: This is CQ Future, and I'm Sean Zeller. We began this series last year to examine how the pandemic was influencing public policy decisions. This week, we are going to reprise some of our podcasts that address some of the area's hardest hit. We begin with housing. When most of the U.S. economy came to a grinding halt last March, Congress enacted a moratorium on evictions. Since then, it has been touch and go for many Americans living on the brink. Nearly 12 million U.S. renters were expected to owe an average of almost $6,000 in late rent and utility payments per household by January, according to a December analysis by the economic research firm Moody's Analytics. In September 2020, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a federal ban on most evictions through January which President Joe Biden extended through March 31st. But these short-term fixes leave open the question of what happens when the eviction moratoriums expire in the coming months. Housing advocates predict both a tsunami of evictions and a significant rise in homelessness. So much of what we spoke about with Seamus Roller, who heads up the National Housing Law Project, still holds true. Let's listen to the conversation. Well, welcome to the show, Seamus. We appreciate you joining us. Great to be here. We're in the midst of this pandemic. It's affecting people's living situations. What's your assessment of where housing is at right now?
1: It's a difficult time, I think, both for tenants, especially, but also for landlords as well. In that, uh, you know, you're seeing really high unemployment, especially among lower-income people. So, those folks who are making less than forty thousand dollars a year for their whole household are seeing, you know, much higher rates. The Federal Reserve reported that. Almost 40% of those households, somebody filed for unemployment in March. So I think what we're seeing is people who are struggling to to pay their rent, and especially as unemployment benefits start to phase out in some states and the enhanced unemployment starts to phase out, there are more and more people who are struggling to pay rent and struggling to pay their mortgage.
0: Yeah, speak to that a bit, because Congress passed at the end of March this uh, roughly $2 trillion relief bill, the CARES Act. And it included the expanded unemployment benefits. That's an additional $600 a week uh, above and beyond what would normally be given. And it was extended to people who work in gig economy jobs uh, or self-employed people who wouldn't normally be eligible. One would think that that would go a long way towards helping people get by so long as that benefit is in place. So why are people still having trouble paying their bills. I think it
1: has helped many people and is really a crucial element of our recovery as an economy is that it enhanced unemployment. But you have to go back and think about a couple other factors, which is there's a big part of our economy and people who don't qualify for unemployment. Those may, people may be because of immigration restrictions, but Often there's a huge part of the population too that's in the informal economy in one way or another, right? You have to have had a job with the W-2 attached to it in many cases in order to qualify for unemployment. And even those folks who were in gig economy jobs, uh, in many cases, the states haven't even started paying their unemployment. They're so their systems are so antiquated. It was a new category of, of employees. I mean, here I'm in California. Uh, just like people have been waiting months to get their checks, and so there's all these people who are still uh, very much, you know, either for some reason don't qualify or even haven't got their checks yet. That are really the people who are the most vulnerable at this particular moment. But I think that pool of people is expanding, um, and will expand over the summer. Unfortunately,
0: that law, the CARES Act, also included a provision, an eviction moratorium. How how effective has that been? at preventing people being removed from their apartments and homes?
1: The federal eviction moratorium covers only federally backed mortgages and federal housing programs. That's about a third of all the residential properties uh, in the United States. So it's by no means, a you know, sort of blanket eviction moratorium, but it is an important piece. And then states and cities also have their own eviction moratoriums, but those are a real patchwork across the country. Many have expired. I think the eviction moratorium is really crucial. But it's also partly just a response too, to kind of keep people from having to walk around and meet strangers and look for apartments like that's in all of our best interests. Um, but that eviction moratorium isn't uh, you know it's a stopgap provision. What we really need in addition to the eviction moratorium is we need federal rental assistance to to sort of keep people in their homes and to keep landlords solvent as
0: well. Some are predicting that things are going to get a lot worse that we're going to see a crisis in this area where there's going to be, in fact, an eviction crisis. Do you foresee that, or can that be avoided?
1: I think it can be avoided, but only if the federal government takes action because they're, they're the deep pockets in this moment, right? The federal government could basically print money. It's the nature of the federal government and that their pockets are much deeper than states or cities. And so they need to step in and help renters kind of get through this crisis and get back on their feet again. Um, and that's, I think, rental assistance. It's also extended unemployment. But without that, I'm really worried about what uh, what eviction rates look like. The end of the federal moratorium is July 25th, and then you will probably start to see evictions really spike up at the end of August, because there's a 30-day notice at the end of the federal eviction moratorium. Um, and so I'm really worried about what that looks like and rising homelessness overall without without uh, without Congress taking action.
0: Now, that unemployment benefit also expires at the end of July you're saying you'd like to see that extended as well as something new that wasn't in that law, rental assistance, speak about that rental assistance and what that would look like.
1: Yeah. So the heroes act, which was sort of like the next stimulus package, which was passed by the house included hundred billion dollars nationally for rental assistance, which is, you know, basically to fund a program that helped people make their rent payments for a short period of time. Um, And so I don't, I think that the HEROES Act is going to pass in the Senate at, you know, some compromise is going to be struck, but I think that you really need, especially with the, you know, you have people who owe rent to their landlords. You have people that are struggling in the short term and it's in, I think all of our best interests to keep those people housed and to keep uh, this sort of, housing market functional at some level or another. Because if we have massive evictions, that is you know, terrible for the people involved, but it's also then terrible for landlords. It's terrible for the banks that are providing mortgages to landlords. Like it, it ripples throughout the economy.
0: And it would be designed in such a way to reach those people who are not getting the expanded unemployment benefits. The people in the informal economy, immigrants.
1: Yeah, so it would specifically target those folks, um, but I think it also will, you know, help other people for whatever reason can't make their payments. It'll be based on, you know, what their income looks like and what their need is at the time. So it's it's sort of tailored to what what people the situation they find themselves in, and not sort of you know, it's not like everybody gets a check to help pay their rent, but people who are about to be evicted, who are facing homelessness, would be targeted specifically.
0: At the same time we're facing this pandemic, we're also having a national discussion about racial justice. And one of the glaring statistics in that regard is the significantly lower homeownership rate for African-Americans. Could federal policy be used to help raise that rate?
1: Definitely. Uh, You know, I mean, our The history of the housing market in the United States is a history of racism and exclusion. I mean, I think a lot of people know about redlining, where the federal government, you know, segmented off different neighborhoods and wouldn't provide lending in those neighborhoods, wouldn't back loans. Um, But they also, when most of the suburbs were built, they were built with the federal government requiring that they have racial covenants, that in the deed of the property that it said that you couldn't sell it to a non-white person you can kind of go down the list, right? I mean, the GI Bill and the housing benefits provided in the GI Bill also were designed in such a way that in, you know, sort of like in New York and and Northern New Jersey, you had, uh, you know, about a 100 of the 67,000 GI loans went to non-white people in, in that area. I mean, just like massive exclusion. And so I think the federal government needs to take real action to make sure that, you know, the people that were systematically excluded, specifically black people, were systematically excluded from the benefits of the federal housing programs have access to those in the future. And that, for me, means, like, taking on exclusionary zoning, right? The ways in which cities, especially suburbs, try to keep people of lower incomes out, it means uh you know, greatly expanding the federal housing programs overall. And it means that making sure that we have uh, real enforcement of fair housing laws at the national level and the local level.
0: Back to the issue of aid, virus aid, there's in the Senate, the Republican-controlled Senate, there is not an appetite, it seems, for extending the unemployment benefit, nor for passing the HEROES Act that you mentioned that passed the House. So given that, Think I had a few months. Uh, what could the future look like in terms of housing um, if the next bill does not include a, a rental assistance and unemployment further unemployment assistance?
1: I think about it like this: is that most of the people who are becoming unemployed right now, who became unemployed during the pandemic, like they didn't become unemployed because there wasn't work for them to do. They are facing unemployment because we told them they had to quit their job. Like they had to lose their jobs in order to protect all of us, to keep us all safe, right? That their loss of their employment was as a, as a way to protect all of us as part of this pandemic. And so I think we have an obligation to help protect them and to take care of them. And in the housing market, I think that means that what you're going to see is that the lowest income people, the service workers, those are the folks that are going to face uh, face evictions, right? That That is going to mean in practice a lot more people who are doubling up, who are living with their families, and who are living in confined situations in which they're more likely to get coronavirus. Um, it also means that there's going to be a lot more people that are homeless overall. It's also going to result in a significant decrease most likely in some of, some had housing prices in some areas in a way that may be dramatic enough to destabilize the housing market um, and really hurt landlords and hurt the financial system overall. And I just think that it's solving this problem on the front end before we are in the midst of a crisis is a much more humane and a much cheaper way to do it.
0: Seamus, what do you see as the hang-up in Washington? I mean, there isn't a big groundswell for further action on housing, it seems. Why do you see that happening?
1: I think that the federal government lacks any comprehensive housing policy and that most other industrialized nations have one because they recognize that just sort of doing this willy-nilly is not a good policy. You know, mostly what we have is a set of tax incentives that benefit wealthy people and that what we ought to be doing is like thinking about how more people get into home ownership and how we stabilize people's lives and help them be successful through the housing market and that ought to be the way that the federal government thinks about this. But we don't have leadership in that area. Um, but I think that that's slowly starting to change. It's, uh, it's an issue that presidential candidates are talking about in a way that they haven't for the last 30 years. And so I see you know, incremental change in that way and ambitious housing policies being introduced in Congress. But I think we have a ways to go before those get adopted.
0: In an ideal world, what would it look like to unwind all the bad policy choices that have mounted over many years?
1: I would think about a few things. I mean, one is to go back when... You know, George Romney was the head of HUD under Nixon right after the Right after the Fair Housing Act was passed in 68, and Romney really wanted to enforce this. He wanted to require that local cities and counties take real action to desegregate and to make sure that housing benefits reached all people, especially that they reached Black people, and, you know, that got pushed back from local governments, and Nixon ended up forcing Romney out and nobody's really enforced the fair housing act since then. I also think that the that the department of housing and urban development is funded at about half of what it is, what it was in the 1970s. And that if we really started to think about what it means to provide housing as some level of entitlement, that you could get access to housing assistance when you needed it would be a second step. And the third one I think is to make sure that we invest in having lower income people have access to higher income neighborhoods that we prevent that economic segregation that so often is a proxy for race segregation right now, you know, that you could use a voucher uh, in a higher income neighborhood if you had one. Right. I mean, this underlies some of the problems like we, you know, you go back and look at Ferguson um, and the you know and the protests in Ferguson. Ferguson's one of those few neighborhoods in St. Louis where you can use a voucher, right? It's it's segregated uh, you know, not just by chance. There's policies that underlie the the broader problems that Ferguson had around race and policing.
0: What do you see as realistic going forward in terms of policy changes?
1: The Biden campaign has a pretty ambitious housing policy, and it's it's good to see that they included that in their platform overall. So I think that it's an indication of the changing attention to housing policy as a whole from the federal government. Um, I think that that's important and in more investments and more enforcement. But I also think we need to pay attention to the way the technology is shaping the housing market as well in that, you know, we are using criminal records and we're using eviction records as a way to screen people out sort of categorically from housing opportunities And we know that eviction records and criminal records have huge racial impacts overall. And we're seeing this play out across the country right now on the intersection between race and policing. But that's much deeper than just sort of like the interaction with the police officer. It's the ways in which we use those records and we use that system in order to screen people out of other opportunities like housing. And so I think we need to pay attention to algorithms and the growth of technology in determining who gets access to housing and the way that that replicates segregation as well.
0: Seamus, we appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be on. From all of us at CQ Roll Call,